No timeouts. Must screen properly, execute, and get the best shot available. It's got to be a three. Here we go. It starts with Lamelo. Got it! Great balls of fire! Lamelo! His biggest shot is a Hornet. No question about it. This is the Hezzy. Brought to you by BasketballGods.net. We got Friday, episode 137. That was LaMelo Ball with a huge three-pointer, which appeared was going to send the Hornets into overtime in Milwaukee against the defending champs. But then Giannis comes down on just a beautifully designed play from Coach Bud, where he's on the weak side and he's just got a head full of steam. One dribble from the three-point line. Finishes cutting across the lane with the left hand. The English was actually kind of precarious on it. I know Giannis was joking post-game about how in his old age he has to use deception. But he kind of overshadowed or, or, or kind of spoiled the big career night from LaMelo Ball against this Bucks team. When you go and look at how he got this career high, how many did he have? Seven or eight threes? It was a ton of threes. Milwaukee basically dared him to shoot the three. They were going under the screen all the way, I'd say, until late in the third quarter. They had Grayson Allen on him, who was finally trying to contest, but he's a little, you know, he he wasn't able to do it. Drew Holiday is just not defending at the level that he can, right? In the Bucs, that's fine. You're the champs. You can kind of rev the engines as the season goes on, but they're not defending like we know that they can. But nonetheless, man, LaMelo was very impressive. He dropped Drew with a nasty crossover early in that game, and then he was spraying the block from three. He hit the big one on the move. That was That's the one thing that I haven't seen much of Melo do is, is kind of come off a screen or on the move hit a three, and a lot of that is that gather and that set point. There's a call that you see very often, probably once a night in the NBA when you're watching, and it happened twice down the stretch of this Bucks hornets game where – Gordon Hayward was driving and he elbowed Grayson Allen on the drive. And I believe they called a flagrant one because it was a buck, you know, it hit him in the face. And then he didn't get the call on the other end. The same thing happened and they didn't call it. And it's just another one of those super subjective calls because, yeah, if you get elbowed in the face in a vacuum, you'd say, all right, well, that's a foul on the offense, right? But sometimes these dudes stick their face into the drive. Like the driver, at what point does the driver have the right to his natural offensive move and so I don't know how you solve that but that's a call that I've seen come up over and over again this season where I'm like I don't know about that one I don't know how I feel about it again I think that there is a point where look if you're going to stick your face in there you're going to have to just wear that elbow but after the game you saw the respect first off DeMarcus Cousins was playing for the Bucks. remember he's on this like make good contract and he was playing down the stretch I don't know what that says but um he looked thin he looked like he was moving relatively well um, but you saw the jersey swap with Lamelo and Giannis, and someone had posted all the Giannis jersey swaps. He only does it with Hall of Fame level players. Giannis isn't jersey swapping with just scrubs, you know. And so, like Lonzo, they don't love you like that. They don't love you like that, right? But Lamelo has just been initiated. You see the respect that he is garnering from the elites of the NBA, and so I thought that that meant something, man. And, and that was. That was interesting to see him and Giannis in, in that acknowledgement because, again, Giannis, he, a lot of the times if you watch Bucks games, win or lose, 
He'll have that prayer circle with the Bucks, but he don't really acknowledge the opponent. That's that's like how he's cut. So again, I thought that that meant something. But Lamelo, thirty six points, nine assists, five boards, and eight threes, but eventually fell because Giannis put it away with that that layup. And I just love that play design where he catches it with a head full of steam, cutting across the lane. What can you do with that? Another game Wednesday night was kind of a physical slugfest, Boston and Philadelphia. And I'm watching Doc go back and forth with young Tyrese Maxey down the stretch. And, you know, I, I like the dynamic. I think it's dope because Doc, look, he's sweating out that hairline, right? But at the same time, he's letting Maxey figure it out on the fly. He's not giving him this like tight leash and in part because he can't, right? But, you know, I think the storyline was Joel was three of 17 in this game. And, yeah, you can give Al Horford a little bit of credit, the familiarity, the the wily vet. But one area where I think Joel is really leaving points on the table in efficiency is if you watch him in these pick and rolls with Seth Curry and now with Maxi, there's more pick and rolls being run with this without Ben out there, right? Um, he doesn't roll. He doesn't roll. He just kind of stands there. And he doesn't ever use his guards to get something easy downhill. Just like I was speaking with the Giannis closing play. That was easy for Giannis. All he had at one dribble and just swoop across the lane. Now, again, the English was precarious. But uh, Joel, he almost has this mindset of where, like, he wants the defense set. He wants everybody set and looking at him. And then so he can show you how good he really is. He doesn't take easy ones. And so sometimes you see him have these three of 17 nights. He never quick attacks, right? I was doing the the breakdown of that Suns-Warriors game, and I'm watching how they get Aiton the ball, right? And Aiton rolls to these angles where he catches it in these ideal spots. And Monty Williams, you got to credit him for that. And if they could get Embiid to roll and take the easy ones and play the angles, he'd be, he'd be unstoppable. He'd be scoring 35 a night. Another interesting thing about this Sixers offense is Seth Curry trolling Daryl Morey with all the long twos. Have you noticed these weird pick and rolls and shots that he he shoots like a foot within the three-point line, two feet in from the three-point line? It's weird, man. I, I don't understand. So it's 87-88 Celtics. Six seconds to go, side out of bounds at midcourt for the Sixers. Tobias Harris shows you why he's overpaid. It's one thing to jack up a bad shot or not get the shot you want. It's another thing to just punk out and not take the shot. There wasn't enough time. He dribbled. He took three or four dribbles. So that's it. You don't have now. Now you don't have time. You got to get something. And he swings it. I don't even think they got the shot off. I think it's very evident that Philadelphia needs a, a, an X's and O's guy on their bench because the end of game situations are just awful. And some of that's just Joel being Joel. They got to they got to be better to close games. I don't know what to say about it. It's frustrating. I know it is for Philadelphia fans. Jason Tatum, big game, 26-16 rebounds. Maybe the easiest 16 rebounds I've ever seen a guy get. And that was in part thanks to Embiid's 3-17 and shooting and that stagnant Sixers offense where they just stand around in iso ball. Tatum was just collecting them on the weak side all night. So the Miami Heat are heating. Jimmy was out the other night against Cleveland. And then you heard the news, I'm sure, Bam Adebayo out with right thumb surgery six weeks. That's tough, man. Like, until you hurt your thumb, you don't really realize it's like half your hand. 
it's like half your hand. And then you look at Bam and who he is as a rim protector. That's tough. That's tough because it's constantly in harm's way. If you look at the way Bam plays, whether that's dunking and finishing at the rim or trying to protect the rim. It's, if it was Tyler Hero, right? It's not such a big deal for a physical big like Bam to have that. It's, that's tough, man. And so the Cavs end up just spreading their cheeks the other night. When was that? Wednesday. I saw this sequence where Tyler Hero tried to ISO Mobley. He got Evan Mobley on the switch, who he is back, by the way. That's good to see. I didn't know how long that injury was going to last. And he ISOed Mobley for about 20 seconds on the clock. Sir, tried to penetrate, came back out, danced on him like two or three times. Nothing he could do. Didn't even get a shot off. Evan Mobley's like a young John Jones out there. His combination of length and agility, offensive players just don't know how to attack him. They're completely uncomfortable. They can't deal with him, and it's it's very fun to watch. How about Kevin Love showing signs of life? He's been scoring big for them off the bench. Cleveland is legit. I think, you know, we're at that 20-game marker now where we can start to make more broad statements. We've got a good enough sample size. Cleveland's legit despite the injuries. Like, they're, they're a handful night in and night out. They give you a different look with all that size and all those seven-footers. Again, if Love's going to chip in, Garland looks like he's taking the step. So Cleveland, I'm rooting for Cleveland. I never thought I'd be saying this. I'm rooting for Cleveland to make the play-in or make the playoffs because they're a young, intriguing team. You hear this other news. Both the Bulls and Heat lost second-round picks as the NBA investigated the tampering of Lonzo Ball and Kyle Lowry this offseason. I think the only GM that that would spook is maybe Sam Presti, right? Oh, my second round picks. No, I mean, but that that doesn't seem like a, look, I'm not salty. That's fine. I'm not saying you can take a first round pick, but the penalty seems worth it, right? Because teams aren't tampering with Dwayne Dedman, right? It's not like they're tampering with scrubs. I, I, he just caught a stray. I don't know. I guess I was talking Miami. So I thought about him and with the BAM thing, but you know, like, Teams will willingly sacrifice a second-round pick if they can tamper with bringing a star in in the offseason. So I don't, I don't know about all that, but speaking of the Bulls, they were in New York last night, and they put it on the Knicks. Now, the Knicks did make it interesting in the second half. They battled back at home like they typically do. I was watching Obi Toppin out there, who's playing more and more for the Knicks, and he's really in the ideal situation, right? He, I, I like that Tibbs is his coach because he's going to force him to work on his weakness defensively, right? And, and be alert and he's going to hold him accountable. And he's, look, he's still, he's always going to have stiff hips. He's never going to be able to sit down and drop his hips like you see a young Evan Mobley do. But his quickness, his size, and you combine that with his bounce, I think he can be effective defensively. Like, you know, not a plus guy maybe, but not a hole, not a guy you can attack. Because again, the way that he's being brought up with that coach and then his physical attributes, he's able to, He's able to make up for it and compensate for it, right? And so the three ball is still iffy, but when the Knicks play fast, Obi is, he's nice, man. He's nice the way he can rim run and all that. You got Alec Burks, the black Ginobili, is now in the starting lineup for the Knicks. They've benched Kemba Walker. I like Alec Burks, man. I really got familiar with his game when he spent, you know, a half a year with the Warriors a couple seasons ago. The, the real problem with Alec Burks throughout his career has been his durability, right? He kind of has that irky-jerky style. He has a weird gait if you watch the way he kind of walks. And, you know, Tibbs, his minutes is like, oh, you're going to start for me, Alec? 
that means 44 minutes a game. You know, I, I think that they got to be careful with that and his durability, man. But yeah, he's playing like 40 minutes a game for them. Didn't play too efficiently last night. But Julius Randle, look, he had a nice game. And I know I was throwing a little bit of shade at him. Less is more Julius, that, that thing. But look, what did I say? I said, if the matchup calls for it, then yeah, run your stuff through him. Let him dominate because we know he's willing to. And that's what you saw last night, right, where that was the matchup to attack, Vucevic. And so he had 30-12-6. But the thing is, now that Vucevic has returned from the COVID protocol, he's starting to hit his shots. He's getting it back on the offensive end. No one's going to ever accuse Nikola Vucevic of being an all-defensive team center, right? The thing was, the juice has always been worth the squeeze because he's so good offensively. And now that he's hitting the three ball and he's kind of learning where to pick his spots and how he fits in, he hit five threes last night. Now this Bulls offense is a nightmare. And so the Knicks claw back. It's a one possession game. And DeMar DeRozan rejects a screen and hits a delay step finish across the paint. Puts it off. Did he hit it off glass? I think he did. DeMar, the, the bag is full, man. And are we ready to officially start discussing DeMar DeRozan in this MVP conversation. The Bulls are winning enough. And I, I never thought I'd be saying this. I was one of the people that was like, man, you paid DeMar that much, right? But the dude is killing it. He is been, he's been the best closer in the league. I, I don't have the stats to back that up, but I imagine he's been the best closer in the league thus far. He's leading the league in fourth quarter points. I have that stat for you. And so, yeah, DeMar's a legit MVP candidate. And now that Vucevic is finding his... His rhythm offensively for this Bulls team, man, look out. So what happened in Memphis last night? I'll tell you what happened, man. Josh Giddy didn't play. <laughs> no, no, he's in COVID protocol with uh, with Derek Favors. But uh, yeah, man, sometimes it'd be like that. My daughter won her high school game yesterday, 94 to 4. That was disrespectful. I, I didn't even like it. I didn't even like it, bro. But uh, yeah, man. So Jaws out, Jaron Jackson Jr., 27 points. I think he hit six threes. This is his opportunity, his chance in year three to prove like, look, I can be a go-to guy. Because, you know, maybe maybe part of the Jaron Jackson issue is you, you got Dylan Brooks, who's this alpha, and then obviously Jaw is the man. Uh, Desmond Bain has come on so strong, right? I think Jaron Jackson Jr. needs kind of more attention. He needs the ball a little more. They need to be more... Uh, they need to force him the ball a little more, maybe. Maybe let him eat. Make sure he eats because he's fully capable of it. So that's that's what his opportunity is here while Jaw gets right from that knee. LeBron cheated the system. LeBron cheated the system. He was in COVID protocol for, what, two days? I was getting ready to get up on here and accuse him of taking two or three weeks off so he could do a D-ball cycle or whatever the hell he does, right? But now it looks like it was a false positive. You just wonder how many stars may end up with a false positive test come playoff time. Hopefully it's not an issue, but no, jokes aside, man, you know, I know we want to always put on our tinfoil caps when it comes to LeBron and the, and the power that he has throughout the league. The league can't play with this. I don't think they can play with this. I don't care if it was 96 Jordan himself. Like you can't, it, you know, I'm not even going to go there with it, right? So I think it is what it is. LeBron, I think should be back tonight, Friday. I don't know. Who they have doesn't matter. They probably gonna catch an L. All right, enough Lakers slander. I'm gonna start doing my live pregames here on my Patreon once a month. I had fallen off with that, 
doing the pod and stuff like that. But I have fun with that. I had missed a few questions. Some of the patrons had posted the questions on Patreon rather than the YouTube, and I missed them. So I want to answer a few of those. 95 till infinity asked, if both teams have similar records, do you see the NBA favoring Monte Williams for coach of the year? And this retains to the Warriors and Suns. If they're atop the, the league, who's the favorite for the coach? I think it is Monty Williams because I think Steve Kerr is going to be penalized for having Steph Curry the system. Frankly, I don't have a problem with it. And, and if you want to be honest, Monty, he's just as deserving. So yeah, I think he would get the nod. Aaron C. Fill in the blank, Alk. If Wiseman doesn't have this down by the time he comes back, he's got to go. That's tough. That's tough because, look, the kids had no offseason, right? So is it reasonable to think that he comes back the same player that we saw? He hasn't been able to play any basketball. So I, I, as far as like experience and nuance, because like I immediately go to rim protection and defense and pick and roll coverage, right? But why would I think that he would be better right when he comes back at that? I, I don't know how he could be, I guess, watching tape, but that's something you got to feel to figure out. And so I'll say physically, I'll say when he shows up day one, I know I'm not, he's going to have to get his basketball legs under him, but he should be significantly stronger. If you remember him folding so many times in that rookie season where it was, despite his stature and his frame, his core was like jelly. He, he had the core of a teenager and he should have been able to significantly gotten stronger, particularly in the core, even while he was hurt, because you could do core stuff. And then part of the rehab process is a lot of balancing and core work. So, yeah, the experience, how could he be better with that in some of the, the nuance and feel for the game? He's got he's to get it. But I think that he should be physically stronger. And that should go a long way, to be honest with you, when you're that size of athlete. My guy Chris was asking, how are we getting Jonas Valanciunas to the dubs? Wiseman, Looney, Moody. Sign me up for a Valanciunas or Miles Turner deal. Just, just based on how good Steph and Draymond look, to be honest with you. Now, this leads me into, did you see the, tra the trade article on ESPN yesterday? Five trades to shake up the playoffs. So I want to go through these really quick because the Warriors were in one of these. James Wiseman, Moses Moody, and Jonathan Kaminga for, how do you say his first name? Demonis? Demonis Sabonis, <laughs> excuse me, but Sabonis, Sabon we all know who I'm talking about here in Indiana, right? Um, look, that's too much for a D-Low All-Star. That's too much for a D-Low All-Star. If I'm giving up that much, I want a legit All-Star. I like Sabonis. He's fine. Um, it's true. Offensively, he would fit right in, passing from the high post, high IQ, occasionally hit the three, but it still doesn't address the rim protection issue. And so to me, I'd rather have Miles Turner, and it'd cost less, I imagine. And so, yeah, that's my feeling on that one. Moving quickly here, Kings and Mavericks. Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley for Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finley-Smith, and Willie Cauley-Stein. Sacramento's like, no, 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 no. We ain't bringing Willie back. We ain't doing that. No, yeah, initially I hated that trade. I was like, what? Why? Why? But as I thought about it, I, I like Bagley with Luka. I think he could be a nasty role man for Luca with that energy and he's he's showing something man but I, I don't think Sack does it I really don't Finley Smith is an expiring contract so yeah I don't know about that one how about a move for the Suns 
They get Thaddeus Young from the Spurs, and they trade uh, Jalen Smith, the kid from Maryland. What a what a bust of a pick, man. Um, and Dario Sarge, who is still out, I think, with the ACL. That's a move like, sure, why not? You know, if I, I, do they have to throw in a pick? Sure, it gives them some depth. Thaddeus Young could, you know, a veteran for the playoffs, a Paul Millsap type, if you will, at this point, right? And then there were two more. The Blazers get Marvin Bagley and a protected first-rounder for Robert Covington. Now, I think Robert Covington's kind of washed when I've watched Portland this year. I think he's vastly overrated. I think his his knees have betrayed him. It looks like it hurts his knees to just play defense at this point. Now, would Dame be down with it, right? You're taking a swing on Bagley. Um, you're getting a first-round pick, but I don't know. I think I think Dame is calling the shots there, if you want to you be honest. The last one was another Blazers trade. It was Larry Nance Jr. to Minnesota for Josh Akogi and Jake Lehman. And another first-round pick. Protected, of course. You remember a couple years ago, Lehman's already played for the Blazers. A couple seasons ago, Lehman started out the season starting for them, and he was averaging like 20 a game. It was ridiculous for like two weeks. And then it just fizzled out real quick. Look, I love the move for Minnesota. Nance Jr. would be just what the doctor ordered uh, defensively, I think, and give them some versatility. But that leaves Portland bare in the front court. And you just imagine Portland's just going to ride the, this thing till the wheels fall off. And so I don't think they are going to trade Nance or Rocco for future first round picks. But yeah, good try, ESPN. All right, let me wrap this up. We've got Warrior Suns round two tonight in Chase Center. Couple of things to look for. If I'm the Warriors, I'm putting Chris Paul in the pick and roll. You, you saw how effective Mikel Bridges was, as well as DeAndre Ayton stepping up above the three-point line. So putting Chris in the pick and roll would essentially mean Steph Jordan Poole pick and rolls. And I'd like to see Steph as the screener. I think that that would put Phoenix in a lot of conflict defensively because now he's running up. Is he slipping it? Is he holding it? We already know Steph's a great screen center. And now you're using Jordan Poole's athleticism to attack downhill. So, yeah, that's that's something that I'd like to see. As far as DeAndre Ayton goes, I, I mentioned it earlier in, in the podcast. They do such a good job of get letting him get to his spot on the right side, on the right block, without him having to physically battle to get there because that's where he's weak, right? He, he can be pushed off his spots, and so they do it within the screens. He screens, he rolls, he seals, and before you know it, he's in a position where you can't do anything about it. And so they've got to keep him off that right block, force him left in those screens. Don't let him roll and seal. That may mean you're going to give up some, some over-the-top lobs, but uh, I think it might be the lesser of evils. A couple of other things to look for. D. Lee is back from maternity leave. <laughs> and uh, is Chioza going to still play, right? Because that's those are the minutes that Chioza was playing the last few games was D. Lee's minutes. And then is Juan T., going to get the opportunity to redeem himself at home. I think we're all disappointed that Kaminga hasn't gotten another opportunity since Juan T's been back in the rotation. And Kaminga and Moody are both going to be down in Santa Cruz. So those are some things to look out for here. Now, Chris Paul and Aiton both played 33 minutes last night against Detroit. No Devin Booker. There's a real possibility that this thing gets ugly quickly. So be it. This is the Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm out, y'all.